He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast, being brought to you today on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always on the two-man power trip, I am joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And on this show, we are joined by quite possibly the most decorated of the ECW world champions. When you think about the word extreme, you think about a belt hitting the canvas. There's only one guy whose name comes to mind, and he is our co-host. He is the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to episode number 47. Isn't that incredible, 47? I mean, what a great time we've had doing this and all the topics that we've covered and rolling barrel it up on number 52 for the big 5-2, the first year anniversary. So having a hell of a lot of fun. It's been a ton of fun, and yeah, it's crazy to believe it's been a year, and we've covered so many things, but it's funny to think about the things that we haven't covered, and that when we set out from doing this show, we are like, oh, Shane, we're going to cover every single point in your career, and it's like we haven't even scratched the surface on so many <laughs> things, and it just it's, it speaks to the show itself, because we've covered, I mean, a myriad uh, of topics throughout wrestling, throughout politics, entertainment, and sports. And when you set out to do the show, you always said you wanted to do something different. And I think over these 47 episodes, I think we've accomplished something that's, uh, that's pretty cool and right up the franchise's alley. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I've loved all everything we've done with it. But I do want to throw a shout out to all the listeners because I've been getting some very cool feedback from fans everywhere I go uh, talking about the podcast and how much they enjoy it and uh, – you know, obviously, like I was saying in wrestling, nobody's watching. The career doesn't matter. If nobody's listening to a podcast, it's irrelevant. Uh, so for all the fans that tune in every week and listen to the to the podcast, uh, kudos, dollar. Appreciate each and every one of you being here. And please send your questions into the uh, uh, the three threat pod, right? Yep. Uh, on Twitter, and uh, you know, let's get some questions in. But I, I, I really, really value the fans' input, and uh, uh, the fact that they're even listening to the podcast. 
very humbling to me. So thank you to everybody. And we're coming off another great interview episode of this show with C.W. Anderson from last week, which had a lot of laughs. It had a lot of information. It had a lot of stuff to digest. And being the, you know, we've had a couple under our belt on this show, it's kind of hard to navigate through three or four voices, but I think we've done a great job. But, man, CW, he really brought his A game, and that was uh, that was some fun stuff to talk about, uh, those crazy last days of ECW, Shane, days that you were not a part of. Yeah, and, you know, that is my total experience with CW. Uh, the many times I've wrestled him, any time I've ever been around him, in a dressing room, I see an uber professional, somebody that comes there uh, with the fans in mind to make sure he gives his best effort. I've never seen CW half-ass it or be lazy in any way, shape, or form. And he delivered last week here on the podcast in that same in that same thread. So you know exactly what I would have expected from CW Anderson. Now, would you consider him like a lunch pail guy? Like you said, like he just shows up. He does his job. He puts on a great match. He gets back in a car. He either heads to the next town or heads home. Because for a guy who's been wrestling as long as he has, if you haven't seen him lately, and I know, Shane, you've teamed with him in the last six months, and you've wrestled him in the last six months, I dare say he looks better now than he did during his you know, early days, his his heyday in ECW. He looks, I got to say, three times better physically and in the ring. I mean, he just keeps getting better and better, and he stays relatively local to that North Carolina, Virginia area. He does some stuff in New Jersey. But, I mean, this is a guy who could really provide to a a company out there still in the ring. He does a great job. Yeah, it's astounding to me that, you know, a guy like that with that much ambition and that much talent has not been tapped into. uh, And, and, you know, I don't want to take the – the requisite slam to the WWE, but when I watch their show and I see the weaknesses in that program, and then I see a guy like CW who could imagine the types of matches that CW Anderson could have with the you know the entire roster of the WWE uh, and, and getting them over and teaching them and leading them the way we all learn this industry. Uh, Shocking to me that he's still sitting at home, and in and, and the sense, just from a, from a, uh, an ability standpoint, but not shocking in the least as to where the industry has gone. Yeah, and if you if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go back and hear some of these stories about the last days of ECW. We talk about our interview yeah. that we had with him that we recorded at the tail end of 2016, and we broadcasted it a couple months into 2017. And uh, the the Twitter rant that Paul Heyman went on after the uh, the notes were published, <laughs> it, it's worth it if you if you haven't heard it, go back and check that out. But you know, Shane, I, I don't ever ever want to make this show about us because of the fact this is you know your platform and this is your show, and we've got a whole other show where we can kind of talk about what's going on in our world. But I, I got to bring it up here. Uh, we've got our big TMPT Con Two convention coming up this weekend in Richmond, Virginia. We, we've been working on it since December, and it's coming to uh, fruition here. It's about to happen. But in the last week, I mean, it got taken to such a, an absolutely ludicrous level. And this is where I want to welcome John in here now because he's been dealing with it on an everyday basis. And if you haven't seen our, our social media, if you haven't seen our Facebook, Twitter, all the stuff we've been posting everywhere, we have announced that, Hollywood actor, former WCW champion David Arquette is making his first ever wrestling convention appearance at our show this coming Saturday. And John, I mean, we kind of went into it just very, very briefly on Two Man Power Trip last week in our episode with Kevin Nash. But I mean, this show finally coming to fruition this Saturday and adding David Arquette. 
Whew, man, uh, it's been a whirlwind. I can't imagine uh, what we've got in store for us this Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be a huge, huge show down in Richmond, Virginia. Having the NWO, having Bischoff, and having all the guests that we did was, quite frankly, big enough. But when we got the opportunity to add David Arquette, I mean, it's just slam dunk, home run, first ever wrestling convention appearance that he'll be doing. Just uh, unbelievable to be able to get him, and he's such a great guy, such a nice guy. Very easy to deal with. His team has been great. Uh, I, I can't say enough great things about him. And don't be shocked if you're in attendance. Do not be shocked if you have a video camera or some video camera equipment around you because there may be some filming going on. I'm not going to say more, but just don't be shocked if you're in attendance and there will be some filming going on. Well, I don't, I don't want to blow any smoke up your guys' ass or anything, but I know how hard you guys have been working on this thing since December. And, you know, for, for Richmond, you know, getting a convention at this level up and running and getting it successful and really hammering it. You guys have done everything right. You've brought in the names, you've brought in the, the legends. Uh, and, you know, after you guys came in and saved, swooped in and saved the convention last year in, in Richmond uh, that had very little fanfare build up to it, to sit back and, and watch you guys, uh, how hard you've worked on this and the diligence that you put into it. For anybody that's in the, in the Richmond area, the Richmond, Washington, Baltimore area, I would urge you to get over to this convention because there's a ton of people. I was going to be there. I was originally booked to be there, but unfortunately, I double booked uh, with uh, this weekend. I'll be at the Boston for Autism Show uh, charity event in Houston and obviously couldn't be in two places at once. But you guys have more than filled in the, you know, the cracks, as it were to be a hell of a convention i wish i could be there but for anybody that's in that area i urge you to make sure you get your asses over there because this is going to be a hell of an event a hell of an inaugural event in richmond yes definitely and not only Dave, will david arquette be there scott hall and kevin nash and eric bischoff there will also be tony atlas new jack two cold scorpio cw anderson mikey whipwreck the barbarian Shannon Moore, Mr. Hughes, Henry Godwin, Solo Darling, and Hands of Stone, Ronnie Garvin. Pretty damn good lineup, I gotta say. It sounds like it to me. I would, like I said, I wish I could be there and bring my kids so they can get some pictures and some autographs because it's a hell of a lineup. <laughs> now, Shane, I gotta ask you this though, you know, and the one thing that I could say John and I could be feeling is a little bit of nerves as we're heading into Saturday because you know, you get you get a great response now on social media. You get people's instant reactions, whether they like something, whether they yeah. don't like something. Uh, and you've promoted. You've been on the, the, the that side of it. You've been on the wrestling side of it. You've been a guest at shows. You know, kind of, uh, if you can, kind of talk us off the ledge when it comes to uh, what we can anticipate <laughs> as being promoters of this size of an event. You know, do we, what do we look for here? Do we, do we look to just put on a great show? Do we want that instant fan reaction? You know, what do you tell a promoter trying to put on a wrestling show like this at, at this magnitude? Well, the, the first thing is, is that when you're getting that feedback, that's, that's a damn good sign because it's telling you that what you're selling out there, what you're spreading information wise is reaching its audience. Uh, but, you know, there's there's always those nerves that go in. Uh, from the first show that I ever promoted uh, in Pittsburgh for ECW <clears throat> to the last show I promoted, uh, you always have that consternation as to, will you know, will the crowd be what you expect it to be? Uh, you, you know, you're always going to have those uh, butterflies going in. But as a performer, 
that's the type of thing that always pushed me to work harder. Um, when you had those butterflies and that nausea before, before a big event, that was the type of thing that really pushed you to make sure that you delivered your best. Uh, not that you always did, but that you at least strive to. And I, I can certainly appreciate what you guys are feeling right now going into this inaugural event in Richmond. And uh, the first time it's been done, you know, conventions, just to give you a little bit of, of caveat, conventions, any convention I've ever been on, and I've been on a lot of inaugural shows, uh, even the ones that do well, they, that, that tells you that once it takes root, that like any plant, it's going to blossom down the road. You know, so you look at the NWA convention in, in uh, Charlotte, and you know, the first one was good, but subsequent, second, third, fourth, fifth, did much better and it continued to grow. So I think you guys, having done the work that you've done and laid the groundwork that you have leading into this first one, it wasn't taken for granted. You didn't come in here thinking, well, we can have a couple names and just sit back and see what happens. And then the fact that you're getting that feedback from the social medias and the people that you're interacting with and the fans looking for tickets and information, those are all the types of signs that, you know, like sort of a, you know, like a, an old Indian tracker following a, a wounded deer or something in the woods. That's the type of thing that, as a promoter, you look at and say, I know I'm heading in the right direction. So I think you guys are going to have a hell of an event this weekend. Yeah, your lips to uh, to somebody's ears, God's ears, somebody's ears. We appreciate the uh, the kind words, franchise. And we definitely will miss you uh, this weekend without a doubt because uh, if anybody was looking for us, we would just run behind you and hide. So it's uh, you will be missed. <laughs> but we'll just we'll hide behind Tony Atlas if anybody's going to cause us any trouble. <laughs> uh, there you go. Just, just, just tell Tony Atlas when you see him that, uh, that Hillary Clinton should be in jail. <laughs> and, see, and see what you get. And, see, and, and tell him that Shane Douglas told, told him to tell you that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll, uh, I'm sure he'll have a lot to say uh, about that. Tony Atlas, and we've interviewed him on the show. John's done some work with Tony Atlas, too, uh, at John's uh, subway location. <laughs> and I mean, talk about. The it's like yes, he's got great stories from his career, and talk about oh, yeah. coming back from being in the depths of, of being homeless and and destitute and right. and literally on the brink of death, uh, before he was kind of rescued at one point and and by his wife, mind you. I mean, he's got an incredible yeah. story. But the thing about Tony Atlas and everybody thinks he's got you know the little funny anecdotes, whatever. Just talk to him about something outside of wrestling. And he'll have you right. in stitches, no matter what it is. So you're saying about Hillary Clinton, Shane? He told the he said the funniest analogy ever about cell phones and text messages on our show. That I go back and listen to the clip every so often when I want a little chuckle because he's just <laughs> he's just a naturally funny guy, and uh, I look forward to uh, to being around Tony Atlas this weekend. Uh, you know, the thing about Tony is is that you know the 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 character that the fans are used to seeing on television keep in mind is a character uh for somebody and i don't mean this in any way as a slam i, I mean i'm just explaining uh for somebody who's not been to college for somebody who's not been to university uh tony uh, who plays that you know the ah oh, sucks guy and you know the southern boy from virginia blah 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 uh he's a pretty sharp dude you know and you know, when you really get into talking, every time he sees me, he tries to get me riled up over politics. And, 
you know, but you know, when you sit down and talk to them, as you guys know, I know this stuff pretty in depth and you start to have a discussion with them and you realize that this isn't just the guy that read a newspaper clip or something and is taking a position. Uh, he's, he's pretty well versed in this stuff. And, you know, if you, if, you know, he plays again, you know, the, the character that he plays and I've seen him do it for my entire career, you know, with the, uh, the aw suck Southern boy routine, but there's a lot more going on there with Tony than, than he lets on. Yeah, he's great. What a character and what a, what an, uh, another asset to professional wrestling that Tony Atlas uh, is still on the, on the scene. And he's going to be wrestling that night at a, uh, an independent promotion that's not too far uh, up the road from Richmond in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So uh, that's another cool thing, too. Shane, we've had a couple shows that kind of spawned because of ours. So not only are they going to be working at conventions, but guys are going to have the ability to go and wrestle that night, even CW, he, he mentioned it last week. He's going to be going from uh, our show down in Richmond out to Primal Conflict Wrestling. Uh, you know very well out in uh, West Virginia. Right. So, I mean, we had a couple. Oh, yeah, good show. Yeah, we had a couple shows that kind of spawned off of ours. So, you know, if we can have guys that continue to work and, uh, and make a living and have a good night, then if we're partially responsible for that, I'm going to pat John on the back when I see him on uh, Friday. I'll pat myself on the back, too. We're very happy for that alone. Well, is JP's brother going to be? That's the question I got. Is uh, is the uh, the elder JP going to be there? I hope not. <laughs> I believe he's doing something. Is is the Preakness this weekend? Is that what it is in uh, Pimlico, whatever it's called? He's working for some uh, some horse races, so he will be unable to attend. Although he's pretty pissed about it. Uh, I bet he is. I bet he is. But no, you guys, that, that is exactly what you just said, Chad. Uh, that is exactly how the business has always operated uh, for decades preceding my career. That, you know, you'd have an event in, say, City A, and then other things would pop up around it. And with the conventions, as you know, like with the Legends of the Ring and the NWA conventions and you know, all these other conventions that have popped up, there's always, uh, especially WrestleCade, there's a litany of shows that pop up around it. A, because you have so much wrestling talent in one area that it's foolhardy to, if I'm going to promote a show, if I say I live in Richmond or somewhere nearby and I want to run a show, well, why would I want to do it a, a month before, a month after you guys and spend all that money for airfare to get the guys in and everything else when they're all going to be in one location and you can run those multiple shows off of it. But, uh, you know, all of those things, it's, it's called synergy. You know, so when you have that type of thing going on, that's what tells you, again, back to the promotional aspect, that you guys are getting traction with what you're doing. And, and it doesn't surprise me with the, work, the amount of work that you guys put in. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It was, uh, that means a lot. And we will report back, obviously, next week uh, after the show is all done and, and kind of fill everybody in how it all went. And uh, hopefully we'll Absolutely. be, hopefully we'll be on easy street <laughs> afterwards. Cause <laughs> man, I, I, I couldn't well, be. Just keep in mind if you don't, not to cut you off, but keep in mind if you don't hit easy street this year, you keep plugging at it because uh, these things take time to build. But once you get that entrenched, especially in an area like that, where there's so much population within a hundred mile radius and you're bringing all that, talent into one place as you know wrestling fans are incredibly loyal and uh it'll pay off i, I mean it'll, it'll work it'll pay off 
for the fans, for you guys, for the wrestlers. Uh, like I said, I wish I could be there. If it, if it, if it weren't a charity event for autism, as I've mentioned before, I've got two nephews with autism. You know, so anytime I get a chance to do something like this, I jump at it. Uh, but it's one of these times when I, you know, you're sort of half torn. You know, as much as you love to go and put the time in to the Busting for Autism uh, event, you know, there, there's a part of me that wishes I could be in Richmond because I think it's going to be a hell of an event. I, I hate to steal a line from the Hulkster here, and we'll move on from TMPTCon in a minute. But Shane, what is Richmond going to do when Eric Sims runs wild on Richmond, Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i'm not touching that one <laughs> <laughs> just one of the many great vendors who are traveling to tmpt contu so if you haven't made your plans to join us now and hey you got a couple more days to uh wait for us to pre be promoting it this week on our show again so we appreciate everybody for uh, dealing with it and listening to it, and we hope to see you on Saturday. So moving forward here, we've got a couple things we want to hit on this week. Uh, one of the more standout stories, and I'm going to let John dig into it because he's more of the uh, the expert on it, is is just this huge uh, all-in show in Chicago that's coming in the end of the summer into September. Uh, I believe it's September 1st. Yes. Taking place, uh, the, the show selling out. Um, in less than an hour uh, at the Sears Center in Chicago. Uh, obviously, the story of Cody Rhodes' departure from the WWE, very well documented, uh, feeling right. qu quite underused, uh, quite misused, and getting out on his own and, and really carving a, a huge name for himself in the business uh, outside of WWE. And before we get into All In, I kind of want to get your points and your thoughts on Cody Rhodes and that departure from WWE, Shane, because obviously you've seen him out there. He's done one hell of a job marketing himself and his brand since he left WWE. And, and, and hugely impressive, and I'll, I'll tell you why. First of all, I've only met Cody once or twice that I recall. Uh, the last uh, time that I saw him was at the last event in the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. I took my older son, Connor, who was 10 maybe at the time, I took him because I wanted him to see where his grandfather had taken me to watch wrestling with Bruno and Dominic and all these guys. Uh, but what struck me is because it didn't surprise me, but what struck me was just how respectful he was and, and how polite uh, he was very gracious to my son. And, and I had never met him before uh, that event. Uh, but, you know, it, Obviously, I've got a huge connection to the Rhodes family uh, with all that Dusty had done for my career and, and helping build me and teach me and educate me, as I like to say. Uh, I learned mm -hmm. so much from guys like, like Dusty and Bill Watts, and, and I really am genuinely humbled by the fact that I got that opportunity in my career. Uh, so, you know, no, knowing Dustin quite well, quite well uh, it doesn't surprise me that. Cody is such a great guy. Uh, but when I read this event, this, you know, uh, read about it and how quickly it sold out, I, I got to tell you, it just sent a surge of pride for me, for him, that he was willing to take that kind of risk. And, you know, if you read any of the online interviews, he talked about, you know, how fearless his father was in, in doing things like that. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, at that stage of my career, I'm pretty certain I wouldn't have had the cojones to attempt something like that. And, you know, the fact that he did and the fact that it's done so extraordinarily well, uh, just 
makes my chest burst with pride for him. But the second thing to this is, as you guys know, I've talked about this for years, and it's no secret that I've, I've been, you know, that I've worked for some time on uh, trying to get a new promotion up and running. And the whole reason being that I know that there's a massive audience out there waiting and looking for something different. This is no slam to the WWE product. You know, you, you go to an ice cream stand and a lot of people order vanilla, a lot like chocolate. And there's a pretty good number of like pistachio. Uh, competition is the name of the game and any laissez-faire economy. Wrestling is no different. And when we see the numbers, and you know, without beating the dead horses, I've gone over so many times on this show, at one point, professional wrestling in this country was drawing an average of 48 to 52 million fans per week, excluding the replays. Now you see the numbers at WWE, which is for all intents and purposes, the last major national brand uh, garnering somewhere, you know, they average between two and three million. But as we head into the summer, that those numbers will dip. Uh, last year, they dipped as low as 1.6 million per week. Let's keep an eye and see what happens this, this summer, because my guess is it'll go lower than it was last year. So the conventional wisdom for the people that don't understand this industry was, well, it must be dying or at least receding. And then you see Cody Rhodes come out and take a hell of a gamble and doing something like this and then sells out 11,000 plus seats in 21 minutes. Uh, absolutely impressive. And it emboldens in me that everything that I've said all along is absolutely right. There are millions and millions and millions and millions of fans out there looking for something different. In Chicago, in one little pin mark on the map, they were able to get 11,000-plus fans to not just come out, but come out and in a ravenous way and buy up those tickets that quickly. Uh, it just undermarks to me what, what I've always believed about professional wrestling, the resiliency of professional wrestling, uh, the solidity that it has with, uh, with its fans and its fan base. And to see what Cody is doing with the incredible talent that he's bringing in there just proves the point that professional wrestling is so much bigger than the WWE or any other promotion. Professional wrestling is a genre uh, that supersedes any singular promotion. And Cody Rhodes proved that in spades uh, with the All In show. I had a feeling that it was going to do well. I didn't know if it was going to settle out, quite frankly, that quickly. I think that surprised me. And I think that surprised a lot of people. But what I, you know, I wasn't surprised of, which is a great point that you made. There is a ton of fans out there that just don't like WWE, and WWE has been pretty bad, you know, as of late, and pretty bad for a while. And I feel like maybe a lot of people kind of underestimated the fact that there's a lot of people out there that are clamoring for something different. They they want that change. I think All In is definitely going to bring that. I mean, obviously, you have all these independent guys. But I don't know if you've heard this little rumor, this little tidbit. As soon as it's sold out, there's a, a rumor going around, and Meltzer had reported it. Vince now wants Cody back. <laughs> Are you surprised? <laughs> wow, there you go. After he told him he couldn't use his father's name, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that unless he dumps a boatload of money at Cody, uh, he's got no chance of getting them back. And, you know, when, when you're on to something good, stick to that because 
six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. If he wants you that badly now, he'll want you even more badly then. Uh, the one thing about Vince is he's the type of person that when he realizes he can't have something, he'll drive him bonkers. And he'll strive all that much harder. So whatever money he dumps at Cody today, and I far be it for me to give Cody Rhodes uh, any advice, but you know if he's able to do this on his inaugural event with no major promotion behind him, with no television exposure, with no major company behind it pushing it and funding it, and do that well, then I'd make Vince, you know, I'd, I'd make him breathe deep before he'd sign anything with him. But it doesn't surprise me in the least. But now, see, this is where you finally get a chance to see something come back and bite Vince in the ass. Typically, Vince McMahon always has the upper hand. And, you know, I'm sure a guy like Cody, as much as he loved his father, as much as his father was revered by wrestling fans, uh, idolized by wrestling fans, followed by wrestling fans for decades, to be told so blithely, that, no, you can't use your father's name anymore. Uh, it's such a condescending thing that I would imagine someone like Cody would look at that and that, that's going to sear deep. You know, I've seen some of the interviews, pr- tremendous interviews that Cody's done since his departure from the WWE. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just proud of the peacock for him that he's been able to do this, do it his own way uh, when he was sort of stymied into just another typical cartoon character in the WWE. He knew that he had so much more to bring to the table. And remember how many times I've talked in this show, when you tell somebody, Hey guys, read from this teleprompter, what I've written for you. Uh, Sometimes it might be good. Most times it's probably the shits. Let that kid go. Let him ramble with it and look at what he's done since without a goddamn teleprompter. Uh, this is what the business is supposed to be. And again, if you're listening out there, Cody, kudos, two thumbs up, triple threat, sign up for you, brother, because to me, this is pretty damn cool. And all in, obviously, added Ray Mysterio, and, and, and you know, they have Okada there, they have uh, Penta, um, whatever, Penta, what's called Pentagon, um, Phoenix yep. there. I mean, they've had some pretty great talents and pretty great names. So Cody, you know, I feel like he's, he definitely takes after his father as far as he's definitely booking some good talent there. He, he definitely knows what he's doing as far as promotion. You think that in his head he kind of wants to be, not Dream Junior, so to speak, but you think he really wants to be, you know, be that Dusty where he literally is just the, the master of the business. He knows every facet of wrestling. Well, a- anybody that comes into this business that has that kind of mindset, uh, you know, obviously – wants to excel and be the best they can be. But I've got to imagine having grown up in a household with Dusty Rhodes being your father, uh, once you made the commitment to uh, uh, moving into the wrestling business, to attempting a career in the professional wrestling industry, that he's, I'm sure there were probably times when he was a kid, he's looking at his dad, as his dad was telling him, you know, TCB, baby, whatever, you know, and all the little cliches that we know of Dusty, He's part of thinking, what the hell is my dad talking about? Much like I was when my dad told me about walking with my feet on the ground like everybody else. Uh, but now that he's grown up with that and imbibed in all those memes that, that Dusty Rhodes has taught him over the years, 
Uh, I have no doubt that he's going to excel at it. And I, I don't think that Cody Rhodes wants to be Dusty Rhodes Jr., uh, not that he's embarrassed of that. But I think he wants to prove to his dad, who's no doubt looking down on this. And, and you know, I can just imagine the promos that Dusty's cutting right now upstairs about, uh, about what his son is doing uh, in the face of the opposition from the big guy, the VKM, telling him he can't use the name, et cetera. It didn't even slow him down. If anything, it energized him. And uh, therein lies exactly what the problem with professional wrestling is today. It's not a formula. I can't say to you guys, two plus two equals four. And so if you do these two or three things like like this star did, you're going to be big stars in the business too. It doesn't work that way. They're, each individual brings so much of their in, uh, of their personal side to whatever character it is. You go back through the years and look at some of the greatest wrestlers and legends in history, Harley Race, uh, Ricky Steamboat, Macho Man Randy Savage, Jake Roberts, you know, the list goes on and on. Each and every one of them, if you got to know those guys, you could see where that character was coming from. And if you talked to them long enough, you'd find out exactly where that character came from. Something that happened in their past, and I'm thinking, you know, as I'm talking about this, much the same with, with Cody Rhodes uh, being told he can't use his father's name. Well, you talk about lighting a fire under somebody's ass to really gener- generate them and gyrate them into a frenzy to show you that I'm going to prove to you that you're not right, I'm right, and you're a jackass. Uh, that is exactly what I think is going on here. And, and all those names I just mentioned, if you go back and look and follow their careers and, and learn all those little stories or things that happened to them both in the business and before they got into the business uh that later came into play and that those into those characters that they developed that became so iconic in the industry uh i think we're seeing that play out in real time with cody rhodes right now with the all-in show i think you'll agree with me on this and i know there's some people out there they're, they're bitter talking about scalpers or you know whatever excuse they want to come up with I think this is nothing but a positive for the wrestling business, whether you're a fan, whether you're in the business, whether you're an independent promoter. I think this is nothing but good because you're looking at it. It's like, oh, my God, uh, this independent show, strictly independent. There's no corporate sponsor. There's no WWE machine behind it. Nothing. They sold out a show, independent wrestling. I mean, I think this is nothing but positive. Is it weird that there are these people out there almost try to make a negative out of it? Well, it's, it's, it's the nature of social media today. You know, if, if you say, boy, today's a beautiful day outside, somebody out there is going to want to attack you for it because they don't like you, they don't like what you said, something. Uh, but to me, I've always been a believer, like in science, you know, two and two is always going to equal four no matter where you go in the universe. Uh, two hydrogen and oxygen is going to create water no matter where you are in the universe. Science is irrefutable. And the same thing in this business or any business, you know, anything in life. Uh, facts are irrefutable. And so you can sit back and be bitter and try to say you know more than this person or that person or whatever else. But until the old saying goes, until you've walked a mile in that person's shoes, until you've exceeded what that person has done in whatever particular industry that you're trying to slam, uh, you're spitting in the wind. You know, naysayers are a dime a dozen on social medias 
But when you look at something like what Cody Rhodes has done, the difference between Cody Rhodes and the vast majority of the people that are criticizing are the that he had the balls to do it. Uh, he had the balls to actually go out and give it a try. No, no guarantee of success. Uh, just the balls and the willingness to go out and work his ass off to excel at that industry. The difference of him and the ones that are sitting there and bitching and moaning and trying to tear down are they didn't have the balls. Uh, it's really easy to sit on a computer terminal someplace and say, I think Shane Douglas is a piece of shit. Uh, but in, until you've gone out and done uh, what I've done, until you've gone out and exceeded what I've done in the industry, until you have an idea of what it is you're talking about, I can go down and criticize the guy that cures the next big disease and say, well, he's got a funny haircut or whatever else, but how much work did that guy go into in the laboratory to, 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 to tame that disease? You know, criticism is an easy thing to throw around, uh, but you, you can't refute facts. And the fact that this show sold out in 21 minutes, like you said, JP, without a corporate back or a major promotion, with tele, without television exposure, and still sold out that quickly, uh, kudos to, to, to Cody, uh, kudos to the entire roster, uh, uh, kudos to the fans that have supported it. Uh, th- th- this is the wrestling fans that I've always known, uh, the loyalty and the love of the industry that they have to go out there and support it to, in such a way to sell out a show of that size in less than 30 minutes is astounding uh, how somebody would want to try to criticize that. It's either somebody with an ulterior motive, uh, somebody with an agenda, or somebody that knows what the fuck they're talking about. Uh, one of those three. And none of those are things that I, want to, uh, that I would like to be known for. Well, Shane's just criticizing because he's an idiot, or he doesn't know, or he hasn't been in that industry. Uh, you know, it's easy. I could, again, criticisms are so easy to throw on. And today with the social medias, it's, it's exponentially easier to throw criticism around today. The difference is there's not one of those people that would walk up to Cody Rhodes the day of the event or any time before or after and say, hey, I'm the guy that wrote this about you online and I think you're a piece of shit or I think your show sucked or whatever else. There's not one. Because they're sitting in mommy's basement typing away on the computer and throwing criticisms out there for something they didn't have the balls to do or attempt to something they don't know anything about other than they know how to turn on the television and watch it or the computer and watch it. Uh, To me, it's laughable. You know, results are results. The proof is in the pudding. A show that sells out in 21 minutes, there's no way you can criticize that from no matter what position you want to take, you're playing a full game to try. Now, one thing about the show that you may not like is that Cody Rhodes will be challenging whoever it may be. Right now, it's Nick Aldis, but whoever may be the NWA champion, Cody Rhodes is going to challenge them. Obviously, they're playing up that the Dusty was the NWA champion factor, three time NWA champion, actually. Now, right. what are your thoughts on that? NWA title. Is going to be in this, you know, new and indie, indie, you know, not new indie, but you know, this independent promotion that's new and just sprung up with Cody. 
going to the NWA title well. What are your thoughts on that? Was that a little strange to hear? Well, it's not, it's not strange in the sense that you just said, uh, you know, Cody's connection to the NWA belt is pretty linear, pretty straightforward. Uh, but, you know, and the the other fact uh, the, that this is not a Ring of Honor show, a WWE show, a TNA show, a, an XYZ show. This is a independent show uh, to have the connection of an NWA champion like Nick Aldis, because you guys don't got great respect for Nick. Uh, my feelings about the NWA a little bit different, but you know that gives it legitimacy. Uh, and the fact that Billy Corgan has worked hard on his end, uh, by the way, Chicago being his hometown, uh, mm-hmm. to have brought the NWA back from the brink and, and still trying to push it and get it up into contention, to being on a show, something like this, uh, it, it's as much a win for the NWA, it's as much a win for Nick Aldis, it's as much a win for Billy Corgan as it is for Cody Rhodes. Uh, I don't see this as being more beneficial to Cody because they're on it or less beneficial to Billy Corgan because they're on it. This is a big, big event, and everybody that's on it, I, I think, stands to win. Now, Shane, I got to ask you this. Uh, as somebody who's always been on the cusp of, of trying to come up with that alternative product, and whether it was yeah. during the booking of XPW or whether it, wa- it was while you were part of TNA or, or coming up with some of these other uh, extreme alternatives that you did you know, in, in the mid-2000s, the end of the 2000s, when you see somebody put together an event like this, and obviously and also your projects that you're working on right now, when you see somebody kind of step in a- a- and do this, do you think... You know, the way you've anticipated your endeavor that you've been working on to go back to traditional wrestling, do you feel like that we're finally back at that stage, that fans are, are now getting away from sort of the, you know, the quote extreme stuff and maybe the, the no-holds-barred aspect and we're kind of concentrating back to wrestling, which, hello, folks, if you've been listening, that's what the franchise has been trying to do for the past few years. Am I right or wrong, Shane? This is exactly what you have been talking about of getting the business back to what these guys are doing right now. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the reasons why I'm you know, so proud of what Cody's done is that he's proved, not just to me, but to the world, and to Vince McMahon that there is an audience out there for something that isn't a sports entertainment, uh, for something that's more athletic. You know, the, the, you know, the, the Kenny Omega Jericho match, look at the, you know, the response that that got around the world. Uh, that was, I think, uh, just a, like a, an appetizer to what we're seeing now. Uh, I've always believed, you know, I've, obviously I've got a, a very different take on the business than Vince McMahon does, but I've gotten to know professional wrestling fans pretty quaintly over the, the, the long career that I've had. Uh, and when I hear wrestling fans for the last multiple years saying one of two things, either they don't watch anymore, meaning they don't watch the WWE anymore, the only nationally broadcast show, or the ones that sheepishly admit that they watch, but then they'll quickly qualify it and say, it's, it's nowhere near as good as it used to be, but I'm such a fan, I still watch. Well, again, do the math. 52 million fans watching 20 years ago, 2 million 
or less watching on average now. Uh, if I'm selling Watson McCulloch, I want to sell Watson McCulloch to the 52 million fans, not 2 million fans. Uh, wrestling fans are pretty straightforward, and they're very easy to read once you understand what it is they're looking for. What they're not looking for, and I think this is a big portion of the success of what we've seen in the All In show, is they're not looking for somebody to read from a teleprompter, uh, for two guys to go out and regurgitate moves that an agent gave them. They want to see two guys or two ladies go out and wrestle and impart their abilities onto that match to do a promo that they bring from their brain, not from a teleprompter. This is precisely what I'm saying and have been saying for over a decade about the wrestling industry. I've always known that those wrestling fans, unless there was a big UFO that came down and sucked up a lot of people, or there's been a rapture that the three of us have been unfortunate in that we're still here, uh, that there's a shitload of people out there. If you just look at the numbers, uh, the 52 million that used to watch on a weekly basis, less than 2 million averaging now as we move into the summer, uh, that tells me that there is a shitload of fans out there that are yearning and demanding to see something different. The only part of the equation that throws me for a loop is how does Vince McMahon not get this? When NXT was burning pretty hot a couple of years ago, and right off the, the legs of that, he launched SmackDown rather than elevate NXT to that second-tier position. Uh, you know, here, Here's a little clue in my mind. If you're selling vanilla and you're selling less vanilla on Monday, why would you want to sell vanilla on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday? Maybe try chocolate or pistachio or, 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 you know, chocolate chip or something else. And that's what NXT could have been to Monday Night Raw in that second tier position right off of, you know, how coincidental is this? Dusty Rhodes having booked NXT to that prominence. Uh, great booking does not ever get old. And we saw that with NXT with Dusty Rhodes. And we're seeing it again right now with his son, Cody Rhodes, promoting and booking an incredible show that sold out that quickly. That tells me that everything I've said about the industry is factual, that the, there are millions of fans out there dying and yearning for whatever is the next thing in wrestling. And, and it is very cool that that Rhodes name is still so prominent, even after Dusty's passing and Cody carried on the torch. But let's not deny Dustin either. Dustin's still an active right. part of the WWE roster uh, on their international tour right now in quite possibly the greatest shape of his career as well. So there's obviously there's something in those Runnels genes that uh, that really just bring, it brings it to the surface with the whole family. They have such a passion for the industry and uh, although Cody, uh, he's been a little more vocal than I think maybe Dusty had ever been outright. Maybe Dusty was behind closed doors uh, as of late. But you know what? You can't deny the genes. And you can't deny the lineage and the family history, you know, even with Dustin still to this day. Obviously, the Rhodes name synonymous with pro wrestling. Hey, look, at, at this point, there's no question. Everything, you know, I, I reiterate everything you just said, but. The fact that this show sold out that quickly, uh, and as we, I, I doubt that they're going to say, okay, well, if it's sold out, we can relax now and wait for the show. They're going to continue to push this thing uh, moving forward. 
and into that show, uh, the question I have is, can this show then take on, excuse me, even bigger proportions? Is it possible that this show is going to be so much more than just an independent show that did really well? Is it possible that this show could take on uh, uh, the vibe of, say, a WrestleMania or a major pay-per-view? Uh, I think it's quite possible because it sold out that quickly and there's so much uh, buzz right now on the social medias. And that, to me, is the big takeaway of this. You know, back when I was a kid like Cody Rhodes coming up in the business, you know, you had television and you had radio and you had newspapers, but all of it cost money and all of it took time. Now you can just throw something up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of the social medias and have this thing take on a life of its own. You know, I really believe that right now we're seeing the technology flex its fullest force and its fullest authority into what it can truly be. You know, we've all seen the newspapers in our individual cities in decline. Uh, and I think this show underscores that. The question is, now that it's sold out that quickly and it's got this much buzz behind it, how much bigger does this event become? Uh, is it just going to be a one and done or is it going to become a movement and this event becomes something much bigger than just a, just an event that's being held in Chicago that sold out in 21 minutes. That's the part I'm going to be sit that, sitting back down and watching as the grizzled old veteran. But I have, if I had to bet one way or the other and say it will or it won't, I'd be much more willing to bet on the side that this is going to take on much bigger proportions than just a single singular event. Yeah, and we still have months to, to see it develop. We still have a good three-plus months to see how this thing right. is going to unfold and who else is going to be added and matches and all this great stuff. So there's still a lot to be seen, folks, so stay tuned. I'm sure we'll cover it if anything really newsworthy kind of hits the scene. And you mentioned being a grizzled veteran. John mentioned the NWA title being included in the All-In show, but... I brought this up last week, and I wanted to bring it to the show, and it's a friend of our two-man power trip and also a triple threat show, a fellow by the name of Mike Mills, who does a podcast called the Book in the Territory podcast, had sent me a message to say that uh, he and another fellow did an uh, episode of, of a show that they call the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast that detailed your throwing down of the NWA title. Obviously, we covered that in great detail in the on the 23rd anniversary of the the actual day that you threw down the title we went through the whole tournament we went through the, even the weather i mean we, we covered it from top to bottom You're right i know more about that day now than i did on the day it actually happened it was uh <laughs> quite quite the walk down memory lane but the way they approached it i thought was kind of interesting because the other guy on the show is a, is a gentleman by the name of brian last who was a friend of Dennis Carluzzo's. And obviously, Dennis Carluzzo passed away in 2001, which is crazy enough as it is that he's has, been... Has it been that long already? Yeah, 2001. I saw that the other day, looked it up. I, I was floored that it's been that long because I, I remember you know, him obviously as an active promoter, but I remember when he passed away and the impact that it had on the, uh, the Jersey independent scene. And um, sure. yeah, I mean, the fact that that was, you know, 18 years ago almost, I mean, that's, that's insane, but... Uh, so he's a friend of, of Dennis Carluzzo's, and, and they were kind of trying to approach the night from the Dennis perspective. 
And I had John listen mm-hmm. to it, and I listened to it a few weeks back, so it's a little more hazy, and John's a little more fresh. So I, a couple things I just wanted to bring up to you, and one of the things he was trying to say was that, you know, you weren't, quote, Dennis's pick for the NWA champion. They, they went about, you know, the, the whole thing that you were talking about with him trying to get you to sign the contract and, and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the questions that I don't know if we we even covered it on the show. It's been a while since I listened to that. But did Dennis and you, you not interactions, but did you have any kind of inkling when it came to Dennis's involvement with the whole thing that he did not want you to be the NWA champion? No, again, you know, if you go back and look at the uh, the interview that he did with Mike Tanay on the Wednesday show preceding that tournament, and his attempt that day at the venue to get me to sign a contract, uh, you know, I, again, it's it's hard. I, I can't second guess what these guys are saying as to if and when Dennis decided or didn't decide, but. Uh, I know that from Paul's point of view and Todd's point of view, that they knew the outcome of that tournament uh, at least 10 days to two weeks in advance of that tournament. And I never heard any counteraction by, uh, by Dennis. Uh, again, if you go back and listen to that Mike Tanay program, the radio uh, syndicated show, it was pretty vehement that that Shane Douglas from that point forward, at least was the guy. Now, did he preceding that say he wants somebody else quite possible? And keep in mind at that time, uh, Dennis Corluza was running shows in opposition of ECW. We used to come out. I remember, uh, you know, the, the, the fans would come out of the ECW ring and there would be, uh, uh, flyers for Dennis Corluzo show on the cars. Uh, I also remember multiple times Dennis Caruso calling the fire marshal and saying that we had exceeded the building capacity and try to get us shut down that way. So there was no love lost. So if he didn't want Shane Douglas, who was an ECW talent as the NWA champion, that wouldn't surprise me. But the fact of the matter was the NWA at that point truly was a dead organization. ECW was the only promotion that was capable of a holding that kind of a tournament and as such, you know, anybody who knows Paul and Todd knows that they certainly weren't going to hold a tournament like that to help somebody else's promotion get over. So, you know, that, that's a portion of it that I, I, I'm a, I'm not, have not been privy to. Uh, but, you know, like I said, from Wednesday forward on that, uh, on that week leading up to that tournament, it was pretty clear that Dennis Corluzo, at least in my mind, had solidified on the idea of Shane Douglas winning that tournament. Yeah, if you go back and listen to the comments on Mike Tanay's radio show, that's pretty evident. You know, I just find it really interesting that two, you know, relatively close uh, promoters in terms of New Jersey and Pennsylvania and, and the, the place that they reached, you know, couldn't reach some kind of agreement on talent working both shows. And I know that was a lot of Dennis Corluzo's uh, bone of contention was that, you know, the ECW guys couldn't go and work on a Dennis Carluzzo show because of the heat that he had with Paul. And I know eventually the Pitbulls would be on some shows and there would be a few guys, and I think 911 would would eventually get on some of those Carluzzo shows. But, you know, for yourself, when you threw down that title and you had a guy like him who, whether or not, you know, 
you signed his contract and he was a part of the NWA. Did you think about any of the repercussions that if you don't have the NWA championship and maybe you're not affiliated with ECW, that you may have lost the opportunity to get some bookings through a guy like Carluzzo who maybe, you know, at some point you might no. have needed. You never thought of that? No. No, that that wasn't part of my equation because, again, at that point in my career, I was still making a considerable amount of my income from the independence, uh, probably about 75%. So I was quite able to get bookings and, and never had uh, an inability to get booked. Uh, coincidentally, Dennis Caruso had never once booked me prior to the NWA convention. So I, was I worried about stepping on his toes? No, the guy had never booked me. And, you know, why would I worry about a guy, especially, you know, we didn't go and uh, paper his events. He came with peppering our events. We didn't call a fire marshal to shut his shows down. He was going the other and that, to me, told me that we were in the advantageous position. We were in the up position. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say anything bad personally about Dennis Caluso other than the comments that he made in, in that Mike Tanay, uh broadcast, a syndicated show, where he tried to, from my point of view, take food out of my family's mouth. Uh, but I had never worked for him. I had never met him that I'm aware of prior to that event. Uh, so to have somebody saying those types of things about me publicly leading into this tournament, I thought he set himself up better for, you know, the outcome of that tournament. Uh, the, the only thing that I was concerned about and, and whether I would or wouldn't throw down the title was I'd never wanted the Harley races, the dusty roses, the Ricky steamboats, the Terry funks, Dory funks, I never wanted any of the Briscoes. I never wanted any of them to think that I was being condescending to their legacy. And, you know, thankfully, like I've said a million times in interviews, uh, thankfully it worked in favor of ECW because had that gone south, that really could have taken my career in a different trajectory than it, than it took uh, after that. But, you know, it was, uh, to me, in hindsight especially, uh, not so much that night because there was no certainty to anything that night. But in hindsight, looking back being 2020, uh, it was a brilliant piece of booking from Paul uh, and Todd supporting it. Uh, and, you know, all the pieces were lined up just right. The fact that they had, you know, and, and, and Dennis really put himself in this position because he had to rely, again, you know, it was just a position of the NWA at that time as being a pretty much defunct uh, company was they were totally reliant on ECW. So, you know, if you go back, if, you know, again, hindsight, history is always 2020 as you look back. But if you can put yourself in that night and not know what we all know now, looking back to that night, uh, it was pretty evident that Eastern Championship Wrestling was in the power position leading into that and was going to be fine coming out of it, whether we stayed with the NWA or threw the belt down. You know, we, through Paul's booking and Todd's support, we had the, the, we had the uh, momentum. And the NWA, again, no disrespect to anybody or, or, or any promotion, but the NWA was dead and gone at that point. Yeah, just a, uh, a fledgling uh, independent organization. And obviously what you did, Caused quite the stir uh, when that <laughs> that belt bounced off the map. But, John, I want to bring you back in here 
because you listened to it a little bit more recently than I did. I listened to it two plus weeks ago. So I, I'm just one of the things that's escaping me. I believe they mentioned who Dennis had wanted as the champion. Do you recall who they had mentioned? Yes, Chris Benoit was was who he mentioned. So he wanted Benoit to be the NWA champion, not Shane Douglas. Have you ever heard that, Shane? I hadn't, but that'd have been a hell of a selection. <laughs> uh, you know that. You know that whole tournament was rife with people. You know, just in my part of the uh, of the equation, I wrestled Taz, uh, uh, Dean Malenko, and then two called Scorpio. Any of those three could have been the NWA champion. Uh, uh, Chris Benoit certainly could have been NWA champion. There was a dressing room full of guys in the back that were capable of carrying that belt. Uh, but I think at that point, looking back, was the NWA especially being so iconic with the promos and uh, you, know, you look at the lineage of the, uh, of the NWA champions, uh, especially in, in the more modern times leading into that tournament. Uh, the promos were something that were a key element to the NWA champions. Uh, at that point, most of those guys were incapable of doing that kind of promo that I think Paul, and I think that's probably what set me apart. I've never spoken to Paul about that, but that's probably what set me apart from everybody else as to why did Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon settle on me as opposed to Chris Benoit or anybody else. Uh, Chris was a much better in-ring performer than I was, but I was a much better promo than Chris Benoit was. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, again, you know, we could play Monday morning quarterback, you know, all day long and say, but my guess is that Chris Benoit, having been an ECW talent at that point, Taz, an NWA talent, Two Cool Scorpio, an NWA talent, Dean Malenko, an NWA, or an ECW talent, rather, I keep saying NWA, uh, all these guys were ECW talents that were capable of carrying that belt if it wasn't me that threw that title down that night, my guess is it would have been one of those guys that threw the title down that night. You know, it is interesting. Like when you, when you kind of say it like that and think about it, it's like you were the best promo guy of the bunch. You could work. It just kind of worked well. You being the NWA champion. It, it I don't know for me personally. I mean, I'm not in Dennis Carluzzo's mind. I'm not in his head. Why wouldn't he want you as NWA champion? Just thinking about it, like, is it because he considered you Heyman's boy, or did he consider you too close to that side of the fence? Well, that that might have been part of it. Might also have been part of it as you know, Shane Douglas. Prior to that, that momentous night was pretty much a middle of the card white meat babyface. So to say the son is going to become the NWA champion is that a bridge too far that somebody? Uh, with less vision than, say, Paul or Todd, could 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 see. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the sad fact is Dennis Corluzzo's gone, you know, so we can get tidbits of information of people that knew him and what might have been, what could have been. Uh, but the reality is that it, the NWA tournament played out the way that it did. It worked for ECW, not so much at the time for NWA, but that wasn't, and whenever I stopped and I say, here we go, Dad, that was exactly the realization of that, was that this was a time for this company to take an attempt to soar with the Eagles or to continue to be like everybody else and, and go along. 
uh, you know, the fact that ECW became what it became after that, I think speaks volumes and, and shows that really in, in the over and under of any variables that you can put into this discussion, the fact that ECW went on to have the seven year run that it did and leave such a lasting legacy that we still hear fans chanting today, uh, I think speaks volumes for the fact that had you gone in any other direction that night, uh, that would have pulled us back into the NWA fold. In other words, Eastern, Eastern Championship Wrestling just remained a, a part of the NWA. W- would the industry have gotten that catapult that it did with DCW at the time? Or might it have gone bigger? Might it not have uh, gone as big? Might it have fizzled out? These are all invariables that none of us can answer. The one thing we can answer is that the the route that we took did succeed. It did get ECW over. It elevated ECW to a point of being recognized as an, uh, a world championship. And uh, the fact that fans still chant it today, when you, you don't hear fans and uh, nothing against NWA or UWF or WWF or any of those, you don't hear fans chanting that today. You do hear the fans still chant ECW, and I've, I've got to believe in my bones that that had something to do with the quality of the product. So it's such an interesting thing as far as, as for Luzu and you and the NWA Tournament. I love that we had our episode focused on it. I love that these guys went back into the other side of the story with Paluzzo. Sure. Because uh, Brian Lance was a friend of his. I just liked the, all that kind of stuff. I just kind of, I, I love the old stuff. I love kind of going back. But I, you know, as we kind of go through this show, we always like to talk about certain old school memories and old school guys and old school things. But we missed a couple kind of real big, to me anyway, real big wrestling deaths. I know we had so much other stuff going on and we had guests coming on. But I just wanted to mention Johnny V because Johnny Valiant died a couple weeks ago now. And I know, you know, Pittsburgh guy actually and, and passed away. Right. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on him. Did you have any sort of close ties or connections with him? Just kind of the overall thoughts of uh, luscious Johnny V. Well, I, I did. Uh, you know, it was it saddened me whenever he passed away because there was so little fanfare afterwards. You know, it was uh, you know not that Bruno didn't. You know, Bruno obviously deserved every every bit of uh, respect that he had gotten after uh, he had passed away. But Johnny uh, Valiant just sort of. You know, there was this story that he had been hit by this car and, and died. And, you know, that was sort of a story for about a day or day and a half locally and then fizzled out. Uh, I met Johnny very, very early in my career, uh, maybe weeks to a month in the business. Uh, Dominic was having a show. Danucci was having a show in Warren, Ohio at a National Guard armory. Mick, remember the story that I told about how Mick Foley and I learned what kayfabe was. Uh, that was the, that was the event that night, and in the in the dressing room that night were uh, Jimmy Valiant, Johnny Valiant. I forget if Jerry was there, uh, but Bruno was there. Uh, David San Martino was there. The Samoans, Asa and Sika were there, and the one thing I remember about Johnny was. And I don't know if it was a Pittsburgh thing or if it was just 
you know, just a, a liking that he took to me. Anytime I ever saw Johnny, he always came up and asked me about how Dominic was doing. Uh, you know, we'd talk about Pittsburgh sports. Uh, we, you know, if we, if we dabbled around and talked long enough, we invariably would go back to studio wrestling off channel 11. Uh, there was, uh, there was definitely some kind of connection there. And the one thing that, you know, whether fans see it or not, uh, for those of us that knew Johnny was that he was an incredibly funny guy. Uh, you know, just uh, not as quick a wit as say like a Bobby Heenan, but you know, he would just in telling stories, you know, he would reiterate some story and just throw some line in or some little quip or a, you know, one line joke that would get you chuckling, you know, and, 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 and that, sort of drew you into the rest of the story. Um, you know, Johnny was, he, he was a Pittsburgh guy. What I hadn't known was that, you know, after he had remarried, he had moved out of the area, but his family, uh, his familial home here in Pittsburgh, he maintained. And so that's what he was doing in Pittsburgh the day that he got hit. Uh, he had been in town, I guess, overseeing and looking, you know, looking at the house and, you know, just keeping the house up. Uh, the one thing that nobody knows, and, and we've talked about this at length at the Bruno San Martino funeral, was what in the world was he doing out at that time of the morning and crossing the road? Now, for those of you that aren't from this area, uh, the, the road that he was crossing is a major artery that leads from downtown Pittsburgh into this satellite area known as... Uh, uh, the Ross Park area or, or the Wexford North Hills area. Uh, it's a pretty heavily, especially that time of the morning rush hour, you know, a lot of cars, you know, that are speeding up and down that road. Uh, nobody can understand what uh, Johnny was doing out at that time of the morning and trying to cross that road at that time of the day with the traffic as it were. Uh, just one of those things that we'll never know the answer to, but it just sort of makes you scratch your head because uh, the one thing that I never thought about Johnny was I never thought Johnny was a dumb guy, a very bright guy, very quick wit, uh, you know, and seemed to have a pretty good head on his shoulders, not just for the business, but for the world. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the one thing that I really remember about Johnny is that when, like, when Johnny Valiant pops into my head, is how he was always so upbeat. You know, in this industry, as you know, it, it can get pretty crappy at times and uh, drag you down. And, you know, if you allow yourself to, to fall into that, you know, that sort of uh, spiral, downward spiral. But I never saw Johnny down. You know, he was always, you know, telling a quick joke, telling a quick wit, asking how the family was doing. Uh, he was always a pretty upbeat guy. And, you know, that'll, that'll always stick with me about Johnny Valiant. I, I, I hadn't seen him in years when, when he was killed. Uh, but, you know, I, I've considered myself very fortunate to have broken in when I did and known the guys that I did, learned from the guys that I did, and had a chance to sit in the dressing room and listen to these guys because they imparted so much about the wrestling business, not just uh, on how to portray a character or how to conduct a match or set up a spot, but how to be a professional wrestler. 
And I learned that in large part by guys like Dominic DiNucci and Bruno Sammartino and Johnny Valiant and guys like that. They were very genuine, straightforward guys. Now, another wrestling death that just hit us very, very recently was Nick Bully Busick, Big Bully Busick. I know uh, there's a picture of you and him from not that long ago. Uh, It looked like somewhat recently. um, You guys look like you were talking some politics and obviously very, (laughs) very, uh, very deep conversation, obviously. And um, I know he had, I believe he had brain cancer. So he was was a fighter and he was definitely a great guy, and definitely a tough guy. What were your memories of Bully Busick? And do you remember this conversation that I'm talking about? I do, vividly. Uh, first of all, what you just said about him being a tough guy, uh, you know, you can put a talisman, quotation marks, underline, highlight that. Uh, Nick was just a damn good guy. Uh, the first time I met Nick Dusick was at the 1981 show that Dominic DiNucci took me to in Steubenville to meet Andre the Giant. Uh, when we walked into the dressing room here through the back door, the very first person that was that was standing there getting dressed was Nick Busick. And he introduced himself. And keep in mind, I wasn't even training at this time. I was just there as a fan with Dominic. And he introduced himself. And every time after that was always just genuinely nice, uh, accommodating. Uh, you know, just, I, I can't say enough positive about Nick, but he... Aside from the wrestling business, uh, Nick was an accomplished powerlifter. Uh, Nick was a police officer. Nick had worked with the Mountaineer uh, uh, racetrack and uh, gaming in uh, northern West Virginia. He was a uh, very instrumental in training his sons, who were powerlifters. And uh, his youngest son, Bronco, had gone into shoot fighting. Um you know, he, to see, and I had known his kids just to say hello. I hadn't met all of them, but, you know, just to say hello. But uh, last week, when Dominic and I went down to see Nick, I, I hadn't known that Nick had gotten sick again. I knew that he had had cancer. And the conversation you're talking about was at a KSWA show in Pittsburgh um, the week that the writer. <laughs> <laughs> the quote-unquote journalist from the Washington Post came in to uh, interview uh, me about Donald Trump. We were at the uh, charity event, the Christmas charity event, uh, with Ricky Steamboat. Dominic Vinici was supposed to be there, but his wife was uh, pretty ill at that time, and he couldn't make it. And the picture you're talking about was Nick and I. That was the first time I'd seen Nick in several years, and... You know, just as soon as I saw him, it was, you know, it was like right back to 1981. Hey, Nick, how you doing, buddy? Blah, blah, blah. It just sort of went from there. Uh, he had gotten cancer. Uh, I believe it was oral cancer uh, within the last six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. He had beaten it and was back in the gym working out. Uh, uh, the way that I had stayed in contact with Nick was, oddly enough, through uh, a flight uh, or, or a uh, uh, gate attendant, uh, counter attendant at Pittsburgh, at, where previously U.S. Airways, now American, and a woman by the name of Joyce, just a real sweetheart of a lady. 
and she worked out at the same gym as Nick. And so when I would go through, she, she and I would always talk about a million things plus Nick. And she had within the last month or two said to me, Hey, I, I heard Nick has gotten sick again. And I reached out, didn't hear anything back. And then maybe two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, give or take, she sent me a text and said, Hey, if you want to see Nick, you better get down there. What happened was a cancer had returned and his wife, uh, Laura had told me that he was completely caught off guard by this. He was in the gym working out, felt great. Uh, went for a checkup and the cancer had returned in his brain stem and in his spine. And at that point, there wasn't much they could do. Now, here's the part that shows you what kind of a human being Nick was. When Dominic and I went down last week to see him, we walked in. He was asleep when we got there. I didn't want to bug him, but his, his, his boy said, no, he'd really like to see you guys. And uh, I walked in first and said hello. And, you know, we started talking. And then Dominic walked in behind me. And Nick's eyes just lit up. Uh, his wife later told me I had to go to the bathroom and I left and Dominic was still back there talking with him. And his wife said to me, I'm thank you so much for bringing Dominic. What she didn't know was Dominic had pretty much said, Hey, we're going to, to see Nick. Uh, he wanted to go see Nick. And, uh, she said to me, Nick's idols were Bruno San Martino and Dominic Danucci. And, uh, we went back, but here's the crazy part, guys, was the family and Nick both were so incredibly strong. Uh, they were, you know, uh, so I, I can't imagine in that same situation having the same kind of strength that they all did. Uh, I think it in large part echoed what Nick had taught them, uh, what Nick had imparted in them as their father. And what kind of person Nick was when we were there, he was incredibly upbeat. Uh, he was precisely on point. Uh, in fact, if you just walk in the room, we're listening to us talk. You'd think he's going to jump up out of that bed and walk out. He'd be fine. And when we got the word, you know, not even a week later, uh, his wife did tell me that when we went down for that visit, that he was now on hospice care and uh, just really heartbreaking uh, to see a guy so full of life, a guy so upbeat and so positive. And when you meet his kids, his daughter Nicole and, and his sons, uh, you know, when you see just how strong they were in the way they carried on, uh, astounding you know just really a testament to the kind of guy that nick was and more than that not to keep beating on the point but uh when we went down to the funeral me and dominic and cody michaels stood in line for 40 45 minutes uh the funeral home was just overrun with people which was just incredibly cool for me to see uh, because of the person I knew with Nick in his casket, they had his wrestling boots, his bully uh, derby hat, uh, his weightlifting belt and straps. Next to the casket was his chalk bu uh, bucket. And 
it just really underscored who Nick Busick was. And then when you came through the receiving line and, you know, said hello to his wife and his daughter and his sons and, and, and their spouses, uh, it just wasn't just a complete exclamation point as the type of person Nick Busick was. Uh, there were 20, 30 police officers, state police officers, local police officers there. Uh, there was easily 150, 200 people, and we were there within the first hour, hour and a half of viewing. Um, and I said to his wife, you know, when you see the turnout here, that tells you what kind of a person everybody saw Nick as, uh, to have that kind of a turnout. He had as strong a turnout of his funeral as Bruno had of his or any funeral I've ever been to. He had an incredibly strong turnout and everybody being very emotional. It was just, uh, for anybody that didn't get a chance to know Nick, you missed out because he was a special human being. I had never realized that you and him were so close. I, I, I don't know why. I guess it maybe just didn't come up. I didn't realize the the relationship you guys had together. Yeah, he like I said, he was. You know, we we only tap danced in the same promotions for just brief periods. But for me, as a young kid, you know, coming into that dressing room in 1981, and to see a guy like him turn around and just be so open and cordial and nice. Uh, it just always latched onto that. And, and we had periods in our careers where we didn't see each other for, you know, six, seven, eight years. But at the very next time we'd see each other, it would go right back to, hey, man, how you doing, Nick? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, it was like not missing a beat. But in this industry, that happens quite often. You know, you, you spend long periods of time with somebody and then suddenly – your careers take you in different directions and you don't see that person for possibly years on end. And, you know, when it comes back to the point where your careers intersect again or cross lines again, uh, somebody like Nick made that a very seamless uh, reconnection. You know, it wasn't like you'd been away from each other for five or six or seven years. It was, hey, man, we're buddies. What's up? How you been? And that was Nick Busick. Very cool, all these relationships that you develop for the wrestling business, whether you don't really notice it or not, because obviously you had just left WWF, he just entered WWF, I mean, it always seemed like, you know, you weren't in the same promotion for very long, and, you know, you mentioned Cody Michaels there, and I want to, you know, lighten up the mood a little bit here, but I don't want to go too much inside the actor studio, but you, you do have some great uh, Cody Michaels stories, and there's one story I, I keep here in my head that you always say is very funny about Cody Michaels. I'm not going to uh, go into in too, deep, too, too much detail on, on air, but I know um, if anybody doesn't know, obviously Cody Michaels trained with Shane, obviously under Danucci, longtime friendship. But that is one of those things you don't realize that Cody Michaels was around for so long and you guys were such buddies. So it's interesting the relationships that the wrestling business can create. Yeah, you know, these things sort of pop up and some blossom and some don't, but uh, Cody Michaels and I met, we were roommates freshman year of college at Bethany in 1982. And, you know, I, I, it was probably, I don't know, a year or so before I really knew that 
that that Cody even had a penchant uh, for professional wrestling. And when he found out that I was training at Dominic's gym, uh, that's when he sort of opened up about it. I had known this guy for a year. He had never mentioned professional wrestling to me. Uh, and when he realized that I was training at Dominic's school, you know, suddenly, you know, he started asking a bunch of questions. And within a week or two, he had uh, enrolled in Dominic's school. And the thing about Cody Michaels is, you know, Cody had started in much the same way I did. He got his break by uh, Eddie Gilbert, and uh, he had picked up the, the stage name. Uh, if you remember, I, I said, you know, Eddie Gilbert said to me, do you want to use a stage name or not? And, I, and he explained that to me, and he said, well, I'm thinking like Shane or Cody. So I like Shane better. That's where Shane Douglas came from. Well, you know, Mark Keenan became Cody. He, he was, you know... Uh, uh, he had picked up that name afterwards and uh, was well on his way to establishing himself as a uh, babyface in the industry. And in 1986, while working in uh, Memphis, they were on a loop down to Dallas. Uh, he was wrestling Gary Young, and he got thrown out of the ring. And when he did, he went through the ropes so quickly and his chin just happened to fall up under the bottom rope as he was coming down on the apron and it snapped his neck back and broke his neck. And Oof. luckily for him, it, you know, it wasn't paralysis, but he was out of commission for quite a while. And I think that opened his eyes to maybe I might want to think about something else. And he ended up going to chiropractic school. Uh, I'm becoming a pretty well-known chiropractor here in the Pittsburgh area, Dr. Mark Keenan. And, uh, that's, you know, that's how the whole thing sort of, goes. you know, as I, as I look back myself and I think of all these interconnections and, you know, all the different avenues, uh, that, that we had all taken throughout our careers, I've been very fortunate to have known the guys and learned and worked with the guys that I did. You're one of those rare guys saying that you're linked to literally three, four different eras of the business, whether it's the link to the, the folks that Dominic brought you in with or, or the folks that you train with to then seeing the next crop of guys as a veteran in ECW to then seeing the guys in TNA come about and see what they've become to now even seeing the, the independent talent today that's blossomed into what it is. I mean, you're like this, uh, you're like, like London bridge. You're the, uh, you're the bridge builder here <laughs> of, uh, of the wrestling business. Shane Douglas always going to be there. The Methuselah. I'm the Methuselah of the wrestling business. <laughs> 946 years old. <laughs> that's fantastic well Shane we're gonna get into the wrap up here for episode number 47 a lot of information it's a lot of fun I had a great time it actually really flew by on what we were able to cover in the time that we've had here tonight and uh I, I want to bring it back if we can to TMPT Con 2 it's the, the big last push I got here it's this coming Saturday in Richmond Virginia featuring a who's who in professional wrestling if you allow me the the platform just to get the names out Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Henry Godwin, Too Cold Scorpio, Ronnie Garvin, Mr. Hughes, Mikey Whipwreck, Dwayne Gill, Shannon Moore, Eric Bischoff, The Barbarian, C.W. Anderson, Tony Atlas, Solo Darling, New Jack, Oscar from Men on a Mission, John. You forgot Oscar from Men on a Mission, you, you jerk. I, how could you forget him? And then also, <laughs> and then also just added the, the incomparable former world champion uh, David Arquette will also be joining us. I can always say that with a nice little uh, smile on my face that David Arquette 
was uh, WCW World Champion for a brief moment in time, and he'll be joining us on Saturday. So please come out if you're in the surrounding areas and support our convention, support the efforts here we've got today, and come meet some some great pro wrestling uh, luminaries and, and stars of the future, stars of the past, legends, Hall of Famers, the whole nine yards. Come on out and, and join us. Go to tmptofwrestling.com for more information and where to get tickets. And also while you're on there, Hit up the Triple Threat podcast page. we got links to Shane's t-shirts. You can get links to Shane's action figure through the Figures Inc. company. And you can really join in all the fun with the Triple Threat podcast. We've got episode download links. We've got the YouTube links that go straight to our YouTube page, which includes a just-added promo uh, that Shane recently cut on a big nemesis of his, Luke Hawks, that has been added to the YouTube page, which caused quite a, an almost instant stir, Shane. You were uh, dead on with that. Uh, the comments started rolling in almost immediately after it was posted. So you can guys can head over to YouTube and check out the Triple Threat Podcast page and the Pro Wrestling Tees store, which is ProWrestlingTees.com slash franchise SD. You can get all the Shane Douglas t-shirts, including the Triple Threat Podcast t-shirts as well. Uh, and Shane, before we get into the rest of the plugs here, that promo that you did cut on Luke Hawks, quite the uh, history lesson of you two. You guys have quite the, uh, quite the, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, torrid history. And uh, you really summed it up very well in that promo you sent across to the YouTube channel. Well, look, this guy, I, I don't know if he's been trying to take a chapter out of the franchise's book uh, as my comments to Ric Flair. Uh, but, you know, for years, I've had fans saying to me, hey, do you hear what Luke Hawk said about you and blah, blah, blah. And for the life of me, scratching my brain, I could not figure out where the heat was, uh, what was the issue. And, uh, you know, after a certain point, you realize, wait a second, I'm, I'm, you know, when we were in XPW, uh, I put him in the position to win the title uh, as Ultra Boy Luke in XPW. And that he kept taking these shots and saying some pretty unseemly things. Look, as the master said things unseemly about certain people, uh, that doesn't necessarily get my attention. But when it became this constant, years-long diatribe about, you know, all these horrible things that I've done to him, and the only thing I could recollect was me putting a, a title on him in XPW, I was perplexed. Uh, and you know, when he issued this challenge, if you remember back in January, there was an issue in New Orleans and my attorney told me not to talk about it publicly because there were some proceedings that were going on. Uh, I was in New Orleans conducting other business and realized there was a show within several blocks of my hotel. And I decided, Hey, why not just stop in and say quotation marks? Hello. And uh, you know, some things happened there and, and, and I let it slide and, and, and hadn't talked about it, heeding my attorney's advice. And then this kept coming back to, you know, Luke Hawk said this, Luke Hawk said that. And it just finally reached the point where I said in Philadelphia, if he wants to issue a challenge to me, look, if he kicks my ass, which I doubt, it wouldn't be the last time, uh, that I got my ass kicked, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time I got my ass kicked in Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, if, if, if he thinks that this is going to be just a, you know, let's go beat up Shane Douglas in Philadelphia, uh, I think he's going to be sadly mistaken uh, that, you know, I may be older, but I'm not that old. And, 
you know, the one thing that anybody that's ever followed my career knows that I stand behind everything I've ever said and done in my career. And I've got a heart bigger than most. So I'll see Luke in Philadelphia and dare say that in that building, we'll see where, where the fans lie. But my guess is there's going to be a little bit of ECW component there. So, uh, the comments that I made speak for themselves. I'll see the Luke Hawks in Philadelphia for the first time and probably the last time ever. Uh, and whatever the outcome of that match is, it's going to be what it is. But, you know, it's it's not going to be Luke Hawks out for a Sunday stroll and going back and having uh, a Danish afterwards. You know, Luke Hawks is going to know he's been in a fight. And you can check out that promo. It's pretty intense, and it's, uh, it's vintage franchise, folks. It's vintage franchise so shane we're gonna we we've already talked about it off air next week we're gonna come at you with a little all ask franchise anything episode of the triple threat podcast where we've neglected the mailbag for quite a bit and we're gonna dig into some of these great questions that we've had building up and it's gonna kind of give us a little time to uh maybe lick our wounds from the weekend and kind of uh reflect but also you know dig into what the fans want to ask and get uh your opinion on or or tell you have you tell some stories from your career, but please, if you have some that you want to get in before next week, email any questions to the triple threat pod at gmail.com. Again, the triple threat pod at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at two man power trip, as well as the franchise SD and also the number three threat pod on Twitter as well. And Shane, please share with the listeners where you're going to be in Texas this weekend for the great event of busting with autism. Yeah, heading down this uh, weekend at me in Houston on Saturday night uh, with the Bustin' for Autism event. Uh, at WrestleCon, I had the privilege of meeting a young, beautiful young girl named Zara. Uh, and she's autistic. Uh, she was just, uh, again, knowing how uh, people here in, in the spectrum can sort of take the overwhelming aspect of being around so many people. And Zara did an incredible job in, in coming into WrestleCon and coming to me and introducing herself, thanking me for coming to the event. It was so humbling to see such a, a fine young girl coming in there uh, to, you know, to, to, to somebody in the autistic spectrum, uh, to walk into a room of hundreds, if not thousands of people, is a very, very, very daunting thing. And yet she did that. And I could see she was a little bit uneasy, but she carried herself extraordinarily well. And I can't wait to see her again next weekend to say hello. Uh, and uh, I think they've got a tremendous event lined up. Uh, it's, uh, for anybody that's listening, uh, if, if they go on Twitter, Facebook, uh, or online, uh, Boston, the number four, autism, Boston for autism. Uh, take a look at it. If anybody's in the Houston, Texas area, please swing by and support this event. It's a great, great event. Uh, it's going to be raising money to uh, help and re research into uh, uh, autism, the autism, autism spectrum. Uh, so I'm just thrilled that they asked me to be part of it because like I said, I've got two nephews that are on the autistic spectrum and uh both fantastic kids and uh you know to 
to see, uh, in the overall, uh, I got, I told my kids, uh, you know, we, you know, we get up and we see life a certain way and we get up in the morning, we go to bed at night and life is what it is. We, you know, we sort of go through the day, but now imagine if you couldn't communicate, imagine if you couldn't, uh, you know, you had uh, all these things rolling your heads in my nephew's cases, as in many, uh, people in the autistic spectrum, incredibly incredibly intelligent uh they have an incredible ability to to uh, to recall facts and figures and uh but being locked into a world where you couldn't communicate that or you couldn't quite clearly communicate that and i I think that's what so many people today uh that are experiencing this uh but whether it be as a parent uh, that, that, that you know, experiencing your child going through this, or as the actual child going through it, uh, for me to let them see that there are people that genuinely care and love them, and uh, have the opportunity to try to do something to to allow them to go out and experience professional wrestling as we all know and love it, uh, to me is is just such a thing, such a cool thing to be able to do. And, and I'm looking forward to this weekend because of that, my connection, both fr- through my nephews, but also the teacher and, uh, having met Zara at, at the, uh, uh, WrestleCon convention. So huge event in, in Houston, uh, please come out and support it. Uh, let's raise a boatload of money for Boston for autism. And, uh, if you can't be there, Please go online and support it, you know, in any way you can, a buck, five bucks, ten bucks. Uh, let's support these kids in every way that we can. And my apologies, I said Bustin' with autism. So, Shane, you were going to have to do a little bit of dancing uh, if it was Bustin' with autism. So I apologize. <laughs> it's Bustin', bustin for yeah. autism. But I will also go out on a limb and say, outside of TMPT Con 2, Bustin' for autism may have gotten the second or maybe even on same par as us, uh, collection of talent with you. You're going to be joined by Gene Snitsky, MVP, Gangrel, yep. Rikishi, and Billy Gunn. So it's not a, that's a pretty yep. damn good lineup as well. So enjoy that uh, fun weekend out there in Texas. What a collection of great talent, especially the uh, the ageless one, Billy Gunn. Hey, it's he, you know, if there's a fountain of youth, Billy Gunn found it, right? And I've followed him. I've snuck and followed him home and tried to see if he stops off at the Fountain of Youth. I can't quite find it. He won't quite lead me to it. But, <laughs> yeah, he's he's ageless. He truly is. Oh, he's the best. That's, uh, that's really cool. So, Shane, best of luck to you with that. And we're moving forward here in the episode numbers. We're coming across a pretty large numbered episode in a few weeks, episode number 52. Hopefully we can come across with a uh, very lovely a uh, very vivacious uh, guest for uh, 52. And no, I don't mean Tommy Dreamer. So uh, hopefully, if, if all goes well and the franchise can work some magic, maybe we'll have a special guest joining us uh, in the next couple of weeks. No pressure, Shane. No pressure. I'm sorry, guys. My mother passed away a few years ago. She can't quite possibly be there. But <laughs> I appreciate you asking, though. Uh, you know, he's a lively, vivacious, wonderful. I mean, who else? Oh, hold on a second. Hold on. Uh, okay, I, I know you're getting to it. Look, there's, there's no reason, like I've said before how many times, there's no reason to have her on here. Uh, 
<laughs> there's not much you can bring to the story. I mean, other than, you know, say, hey, what's up? How you doing? Uh, I love her to death, but I, I just don't really see what the meaning of having her. Besides, you know, there's sometimes there's things that, you know, you just want to keep like to yourself. You know, it's, uh, but I, I might be able to get somebody else like, you know, I, you know, who I probably could get, I probably could get the ticket taker for ECW to be on for week number 52. <laughs> I, I think I've got her phone number somewhere. Would that be okay? Hey, it could be passable, but I mean, I, John's a card carrying member of the booby club. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's one thing where I think he's gonna want to uh, he's gonna want to share his Mouseketeer level of uh, fandom. So I think uh, whatever we could try to pull it off, who knows what the next couple of weeks will bring. I, I never know. I always say with our show, you never know who's gonna be on the other end of the line. So in this case, we really don't know. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. So Shane, as we move forward here, close out forty-seven. We get to another another big number in forty-eight. And if we survive, we'll all be back next week here for uh, another great episode of the Triple Threat. So, Shane, please take us out in only the way the franchise can. Hell yeah, the weekend coming up, the big TMPT convention in Richmond, Virginia. Don't miss it. And the big Boston for Autism event in Houston. you got bilateral points in the country you can't miss out. If you're on that end, come, come support the autism. If you're on this end, come support the convention. Who knows what the hell's going to go on, but big number 52 coming up. A humbling, humbling thank you to everybody that's been following along for 47 weeks long. we got four more weeks, and we're going to be on the verge on the anniversary of the big number 52. So make sure you tune in the weeks between now and then, or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.